Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 295. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Loki season two, episode three, 1893, directed by Kazra Farahani with a teleplay by Eric Martin and Kazra Farahani and Jason O'Leary, story by Eric Martin. Loki was created for television by Michael Waldron and it is a Kevin Feige production. Before our spoiler review begins, just want to take a moment to acknowledge that this is the first spoiler review that we have done for Loki season two that features a prominent appearance of Jonathan Majors as Victor Timely slash He Who Remains and any other variant thereof. And this is also the first prominent appearance that we have seen of Jonathan Majors in anything in the MCU since his arrest earlier this year back in March. And so as of this recording, Jonathan Majors still faces misdemeanor charges stemming from a March 2023 arrest for alleged assault and harassment. Majors has denied the allegations, and his next hearing is currently scheduled for next week on October 25th. These are, of course, very serious charges, and we do not take them lightly. For the purposes of these reviews, we will keep our focus on discussing and critiquing Majors' performance and the writing of Victor Timely and any other variant of He Who Remains in this series. All of major scenes, of of course, were filmed prior to his arrest. We will reserve any additional comments on Major's legal case or Marvel Studios' future plans with the actor for a time in which more of the facts surrounding the case have been made available. Thank you very much, and on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm uh, wearing uh, multiple layers right now that I wouldn't probably have to if I was upstairs, opposed to being downstairs in the the, the department. But it doesn't matter. It's all good. I'm here. I'm freezing, but uh, it's just gonna get colder down here. But that's fine. I don't. I don't. I freeze for for all you because and for myself because I love talking Marvel, obviously. So, but yeah, I, I'm good. I, I'm ready to. I, it's Loki is continuing its uh, it, it, it's its quality and also what to talk about. It, it, there's, there's a lot to discuss and dissect in this episode, I, th- I feel. There really is. When I gave my first impressions, I looked up at the clock. Fan, uh, first impressions, of course, on Fanshow Plus, available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber and on Apple Podcasts, just right there in the same feed. Uh, premium subscription required for Apple Podcasts, but... Uh, right there in the same feed on Apple Podcasts where you can see this episode. But I started rambling through my first impressions, and then I realized, oh, this is almost the length of a spoiler review now (laughs) because there was a lot to really, there was a lot of information to take in on this episode and a a lot to process and dissect. And and I certainly found more when I dove back into the episode. I've rewatched it a couple more times since, and... And yes, I I really loved this episode like I loved the previous two. I don't know if I love this one quite as much as the other two, but that would really just come down to preference. Uh, it isn't really a um, it isn't really an indication of quality in any respect because I thought this was a really another strong installment of this series. And it is crazy to think that now we're halfway through Paul this second season of Loki because this is three of six, so we are uh, at the halfway mark for uh, for this new season and it has been going really strong now 
several months back, we were talking about Secret Invasion and how happy we were after the first three episodes of that series. And then, of course, things went the way that they did. I think the difference this time around, though, and why my confidence level is uh, is much higher in terms of where things are going to go from here is obviously with this team and even the new team, you know, the new members of the team, as well as those that carried over from the first season to uh, the second is this is now nine episodes that I think have all been varying degrees of good or great. So the the pattern of consistency is well established uh, for Team Loki. And I have the utmost confidence that we're just going to continue to see more and more great things from this series. And I know this is the kind of thing that we've said before, but I think it bears repeating because it has been, I don't want to necessarily say a struggle, but a bit of a challenge in some aspects for some of these Marvel Studios Disney Plus series is balancing the need of the serialized narrative for the the whole span of a limited series or a season in the case of Loki, balancing that with the needs to have a, a satisfying individual episode and have that episodic nature to it and be satisfying on that level. Loki season two, I think really is Marvel striking that balance better than they have in any of the previous Disney Plus shows. That doesn't necessarily mean this is the best Marvel Studios Disney Plus show, because there's no way I could immediately crown anything above WandaVision. They have to also withstand the test of time, as I know WandaVision has at least for uh, almost three years now. So I'm not trying to put it in that category, just in terms of the way that things are trending. And I love that this is, you know, this goes down as this was the 19th century episode of Loki. And it was a really, really strong episode for characters that I didn't necessarily expect to get a strong episode in this season. Of course, we know that Loki and Mobius are our main players, our, our main heroes, our primary protagonists throughout this series. And then we knew, we've started to get used to some of the other supporting players having expanded roles, whether that's somebody brand new like OB or Casey and B-15, as we've talked about in previous weeks in the, the last two episodes. But I don't know if I would have predicted, I mean, knew we would see them again, and obviously they would have a role. But just how significant the roles of Renslayer and Miss Minutes became over the course of this episode, and how earned all of that was over the course of this episode, I thought was really well done. If we were to try and pick MVPs of this episode, it would be Gugu Mbatha-Ra as uh, Ravona Renslayer sharing with Tara Strong as Ms. Minutes because I thought that what we got from these two characters in particular throughout this episode, I mean, it literally begins and ends with these two characters with a lot happening in between and a lot that we learn about them. But before we get into the, the specific details, Paul, I would just say overall, I thought this was a really strong episode despite Loki and Mobius taking a bit of a backseat to let these other characters shine. Mm -hmm. And really, we see just how how much more significant these characters are. This is no longer um, a race between Loki and Mobius versus Victor Timely or He Who Remains, that now Renslayer and Miss Minutes are, of course, very serious players in all this. Well, and, and that's something that I thought was it, it's fine because I and maybe it's because I, I, I knew Ravona would have to be a prominent person in this because of her setup in season one. 
and this also knowing her history with Kang the Conqueror. In I general. figured her role would expand, but I, I think they hinted something even bigger than I was already oh. expecting an expansion, but they hinted at even bigger stuff in this one. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's the thing that I, I, I kind of because she didn't show up in the first two episodes, it made sense for her to, to be the heavy you know, her and Miss Minutes to be heavily prom, you know, prominent and, and focused on absolutely this episode, this episode, which again, and in, in knowing that I totally didn't, I, I, I didn't even realize to, until you just brought it up just now, like, yeah, you're right. They Loki and Mobius weren't really in it as much, but they no? were in it enough, but they are in it enough to, to make it still not oh, seem absolutely glaring. And, and that's, but that's that, again, I think that's really, really cool because, I, I, I think from pay from, I, I'd rather sacrifice pacing. I don't want to sacrifice pacing for a show because I, I need to have like the prominent stars. And, 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 and obviously with these mini series like this, or these like, you know, shorter, like more prestige series, if you will, it, it makes sense to kind of do that, do it that way. As far as like, you know, just let the pacing tell a story rather than like, we got to have Loki in it for a X right. amount of time, you know? And so, and I think we all would agree with that. I think what's, what's great yeah, about- there was no stopwatch on Loki and Mobius this week to make sure their screen time was was right. just enough. And and also, I think that's, that the fact that I didn't notice that is a strength to the writing because I totally overlooked that. Yeah. And- I because I was captivated by Ravona and yeah. minutes and the and the editing, but also the direction and exactly um, shout out to yeah. Kazra Farahani who directed this episode. He's been the production designer for this show for these first two seasons and now gets an opportunity to direct and also has a writing credit on this episode as well and really did an outstanding job with this yeah. episode. Um, and that's great. You know, it's great to see people taking on these expanded roles behind the scenes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, with opportunities that they've earned through having great work. I mean, we talked about how great the production design was on Loki season uh, season one, continues to be outstanding in season two. And so an opportunity earned um, and then making the most of that opportunity with Khosra Farhani as the director of this episode. And yeah, that's also where that comes from to not make it immediately apparent, not make the audience really feel the absence of of Loki and Mobius in this, because so much of the episode has revolved around the buddy comedy as uh, of Loki as of Loki and Mobius, but that's not really what this episode was based on. It's still there, and they certainly got some great lines in between uh, between one another. But to really focus on these other characters and not again do it in a way that. Feels like a sleight of hand, but isn't really a trick. It's just really effective storytelling, which, uh, to your point, credit to the writing, but also editing, direction, everything about this was was really working and getting the most out of the the story direction for this episode. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I was very happy with, you know, how this was portrayed because I do feel that there, because I knew Ravona was going to probably be a big player, and not just in this show, everyone, but I think in the multiverse saga oh, as, as a whole. And I think that's where we're kind of get. I think that's where Loki has kind of been really cool. Is that if you and I think if you look at this with uh, Quantum Mania and Loki, like it's really unraveling a really crazy, like an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Way more interesting than I think than people give it credit for. To be quite honest, and I'm not. And maybe I'm even being a homer here, but. I'm just going to say it. I, I think 
I think just Loki season one by itself in Quantum Mania, it, it I, I liked where it was going, but I kind of you know okay we're hitting all the things, but three episodes into Loki season two, I'm like oh oh okay they they are they are going interweaving lots of complexity here, and I love it like there's lots of cool stuff that that they are tying into because the multiverse saga so far is is not been really as multiverse as probably as it could be even by name but that that being that being said though the complexities of loki season one and two or you know loki season one and then season two and with quantum mania to be honest i i've i've wanted to watch quantum mania again but i really want to watch it now again based on this because i think we're getting a really interesting idea what marvel's doing with kang and mm. i think ravona and a lot of things they they, they they touch on in this i'm like oof, whoo like it's it's gonna get it's gonna get crazy and i yeah a lot of speculation on my part we'll, we'll save yeah the, the well parts. i think that's the thing about this episode especially as it pertains to ravona is that it shifts a lot of thing from speculation based on comics to now no the show is telling us the direction that things are headed or at least giving us a much better idea that's grounded in the events of the show as opposed to just assuming things might get a certain direction because of where it was in the comic books but certainly if Ravona was sidelined in this story it wouldn't be the first marvel character that that happened to who had a bigger role in the comic books and then didn't get the same type of role in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that's also what makes it really nice to see is that the potential was there based on the source material, but to see them actually tapping into that potential with the story decisions that they make, uh, particularly in this episode, to really confirm that that's uh, give us at least some sense of where things are headed, I I thought was really a a strong point in this episode. But there's a lot more to dive into on a deeper level as we go through. So might as well, I mean, at this point in the podcast, over 10 minutes into it, why not go ahead and talk about what specifically happens in this episode? And the first thing, Paul, you got to love the old-timey 19th century version of the Marvel Studios fanfare. I know composer Natalie Holt, who also has a, a cameo in this playing music at Chicago, at the Chicago World's Fair, um, but tweeted this out. Be- I don't know if you happen to see it, but shared it on social beforehand, so I already kind of knew we were getting this new treatment of the Marvel Studios fanfare but I thought it was awesome. Absolutely loved it. Put a smile on my face. And then we were cutting right to Chicago, 1868 on the sacred timeline. And there she is, Ravona Renslayer. And she is looking for Miss Minutes. And Ravona Renslayer brought a package that Miss Minutes requested because that was requested by the person at the end of time who Ravona wants to meet. He's dead now, but he planned for this. Made it uh, made this plan when he knew that his end was near. So a suggestion that he who remains was a, a step ahead, as he already kind of suggested he was at the end of Loki season one. And what is that package? Well, it's a package that has to be dropped in a in a specific window. Inside that package is the TVA official handbook, and inside that uh, dwelling where we saw the the pack that the package was dropped through the window of is a as we can guess a very young. Victor Timely. Also a cool thing there with Miss Minutes having a time period appropriate wardrobe change. Um, and also for the the whole idea here of what's in it for Ravona Renslayer, what is she supposed to get out of this, of, of doing, of delivering this package, is that she is going to Renslayer and Miss Minutes, Miss Minutes promises, 
will get to be right by his side, that person at the end of time, right by his side when he's back atop the TVA and at the end of time. And I really like this opening sequence. As I said, the Marvel fanfare was cool. I really liked the uh, the the restyling of Miss Minutes was fantastic. And it also tells you something about He Who Remains. It just goes to show that he was still at least a couple steps ahead of Loki and Sylvie and just really goes back to that remark of his dying words to Sylvie, see you soon. Maybe not literally him, but some variant of him that he is giving a head start with this TVA uh, official handbook. But none of it works. That's the other thing that's key here for He Who Remains and now Victor Timely. This plan does not work without Ravona Renslayer or Miss Minutes, which just goes to show you as powerful as He Who Remains and Victor Timely may advertise themselves to be, cannot rely they he cannot rely entirely on himself or variants of himself and also maybe he never really has and of course that points to the big secret that miss minutes uh, doesn't share with us but is about to share with ravona renslayer at the end of this episode it also just kind of makes you wonder about the whole time travel aspect of it of is this always what was destined to happen is this something that's looped around before i don't really know but i also really liked one more thing that just um i don't know that I touched on or that it just sparked a memory for me as a fan of the old Batman, the animated series. I really love Ravona Renslayer's objection to what she was tasked with doing, that she thought she was part of some huge plan. And she is, but the way that manifests here and now is very anticlimactic to her. Like, I'm just supposed to drop this package through a window. I don't say anything to anybody. I just drop this package through a window Really reminded me of the Batman the Animated Series episode of Joker's Favor, where Charlie Collins is brought in with the favor he owed the Joker to basically just open a door, um, which means nothing to anyone who doesn't love that episode of Batman the Animated Series like I do. But that was really funny to just kind of see that very mundane task for Ravona Renslayer. But again, she is a huge and critical part of the plans for He Who Remains and now Victor Timely. So we do get to see a couple different sides of he who remains in variants of him, that yes, there's a certain amount of forethought, there's a certain amount of being a step ahead, but there's also more dependence on others than a, a character like that would otherwise suggest, certainly that he would suggest of himself. Well, and I think the, the what I what I took into it, because if I'm, if I'm see, I don't want to get, I'm going to have to go into spoiler territory to kind of talk about well, this. If, what if you're, you're speculating, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily well, a spoiler. I have to jump ahead though. That's the oh, thing. Oh yeah, if because... you gotta no, if okay to jump ahead in the episode a bit. Uh, okay, so well, the implication we get here that Miss Minutes will talk about, which we'll I'll get to more in depth stuff with that later, because I I liked all this. Like I mean, I loved Miss Minutes' is inclusion here. I like more uh, revelations. I feel I kind of have a, a little beat on what's going on with Miss Minutes a little bit, but mm -hmm. we'll get to that later. Um. But I do think that there's um, something here that's interesting with, with Ravona is that I what you said about how is it a time loop? Is it always predestined to happen? This is what I kind of feel because I, I, I'm going back from like you know, the comics I've been reading and um, and also the show's kind of already kind of done in a little bit is again, I keep going back to only myself to conquer that comic series, which is fantastic. Go read it. It very much is to me tells me what the, I think in a very simplistic way, if that makes any sense 
um, what this whole relationship between, you know, the he who remains Kang and Ravona is, I do feel that there is a connection between these two characters, obviously of a, a, like a, there is, there is a, uh, intimate connection between these two people. And I feel that he who remains knew that and knows that now we don't know the extent of what that means, but there is a, there is a connection they hint at in this show already they are hinting at that yeah and like, there's a conversation between the two of them that really does refer to more of a partnership um in a recording loki heard back in the first episode exactly, of the season right but that all given the very strong aversion that we see victor timely has to partners i presume that same aversion existed for he who remains and i feel like a lot of the intimacy that was there was maybe more manipulation than anything else. But I'll save that for when we get to uh, some yeah. other moments in this episode. But, but yeah, but really quickly, just to add on that real quick, I, I just want to say that I do think that there is something there. Is it manipulation? Is it a natural, is it, is it a natural uh, uh, attraction? It That remains to be seen. Uh, I don't know. And, and I think that's where I think it's interesting is that this variant or this person could have been placed on the timeline on purpose. And that's the other thing to think about. Like, this is a sacred timeline. The thing with Kang, though, is that he can, he might, like, or, or Nathaniel Richards or whoever you want to, you know, whatever. Yeah. You he could be planning himself from different timelines into the sacred timeline. Yeah. For Although it episode. is worth noting that um, when they get to 1893, they do make the distinction that it is now a branched timeline, meaning that this is ah, okay. not what originally happened. And so presumably once that TVA handbook was dropped off for Victor Timely, that's what created a new branch. So this is kind of a new thing, but that plays into what you were talking about with that Kang storyline. And we talked about this on a previous episode that Kang fails a lot. And so he figures out, he can also drop hints to himself to figure out how to do better exactly. next time. And so Victor Timely isn't necessarily he who remains in the past. He is a variant of he who remains that now he who remains is giving the opportunity to be better. Because remember, he's coming up with a fix for something that there currently is no fix for, which is why the temporal loom is in trouble and on the verge of meltdown. As we hear again, when we get to the temporal loom out of this opening scene, and as we suspected, it is stable for now because a bunch of branches that were overloading the temporal loom were, uh, uh, of course, pruned last week. Not how anybody wanted it to happen, but that is what happened. And so it stabilized the temporal loom for now. But as we also knew was inevitable, branches are growing back. And so what Obi says is he has to increase the throughput to scale up the capacity of the temporal loom or there's going to be a meltdown. But he can't put in his retrofit device. He can't put any of these fixes in unless they can get the blast doors open, which was the issue they were having last week. They don't have access right now to the temporal aura of He Who Remains. So I love how Mobius just says we can hack into the system and Obi just immediately believes him when really that was more of a suggestion slash question from Mobius. And then they're right back to where they started. And I love the delivery from Kihoi Kwan of we're all going to die still um, was fantastic. So they can't get He Who Remains as far as they know right now. That means they need Miss Minutes for the override, which means they need Ravona Renslayer because she was the last person in contact 
with Miss Minutes. And this is all how we expected it. This was all kind of the tease for the next mission that they gave us at the end of episode two. And, you know, as expected, the temporal meltdown, not as uh, immediate of a danger as it was in last week's episode, but is about is just a very short uh, trip away from becoming a very immediate danger again. It's still a very, very urgent matter that our character, our heroes have to work to resolve. But I also like this when we talk about the episodic nature of it. Here's the mission for this week. Teased at the end of episode two. Here it is in episode three. You got to go track down Ravona Renslayer because that's the path to getting Miss Minutes to override He Who Remains. But now they're about to meet a variant of He Who Remains. So this was this scene... Again, a few, uh, a couple funny little comedic bits there, but I also just thought a very quick way of of resetting and not just assuming that everybody saw last week's episode. I'm sure most, the vast majority of people watching Loki season two, episode three saw Loki season two, episode two. But just in case you didn't, just in case the previously on wasn't enough, here's a quick little in-story reminder of what we got to do this week. Yeah, I, I, to me, like, I, I, I don't know, like, this is where, like, I, I think that the, the episode kind of, like, sways a little bit early on when it kind of starts, you know, they start kind of get into, like, we need this reactor, we need that reactor, yeah. we need Victor Timely. I'm like, okay, again, this is the weakest well, part of the episode for me. Well, like, they don't know they need Victor Timely yet because they don't even know Victor Timely exists in this well, scene. But, I, no, I, I get the point, though. I mean, it, it's not... It's not as character informing as the the rest of the it's episode. More exposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. what I like about it is they were quick about it in this scene. It really True. doesn't last very long, and they threw in a, a couple nice. What at least for me anyway worked on me. I laughed a, a couple of quick laughs to you know the spoonful of sugar for the exposition medicine to go down. And again, it was all <laughs> over very very quickly. And then even when they go to and we also hear of course that. There were two Tempad readings that they were going to go check out, one in 1868, one in 1893, in the same spot, 25 years apart. But again, 1868, when Ravona Renslayer showed up there originally when we saw it, was the sacred timeline. But after Mobius and Loki check out 1868 very quickly and see there's nothing there, they move on to 1893. And it shows right there on the screen that this is a branched timeline. And what has been built up around this area that we saw in 1868 is now the Chicago World's Mm -hmm. Fair. And it is a branch, which also tells us, again, this is not what happened all the time in some to maybe answer my own question a little bit in terms of the, the whole looping issue. This is a brand new branch as far as the reality of the show at this point in time. But it's branched because of presumably what Ravona and Miss Minutes did course, helping out, uh, dropping that book off to a young Victor Timely. And so because they they know that Ravona Renslayer went to this same spot in 1893, that's why Loki and Mobius move on there. Um, and I really love when we talk about some of the, the buddy aspects and the comedy of Loki and Mobius. Here's where we get a, a really nice dose of it. When they show up to the Chicago World's Fair and figuring out how they're going to find them. Moby is saying they're going to start by looking. They got to check out everything. They got to look for breadcrumbs. And then they just overhear uh, the newsboy talking about how the ghost clock is continuing to haunt the midway. And so they know Miss Minutes is nearby. And therefore, Ravona Renslayer presumably is going to be there as well. And where is the best place to go looking for people? Well, as far as Mobius is concerned, it's wherever there are snacks. And when he talks about stopping off for refreshments and why they got Cracker Jacks, 
His logic is sound. He says Cracker Jack concession stand is a high traffic area. It was necessary and logical to go there. The fact that it's tasty is just a bonus. That checks out. That, uh, That logic tracks with me. I have no problem with that whatsoever. No strategic errors found on my part. Definitely worth stopping off for a snack. And look, again, if it just helps out and it tastes good, great. But hey, you never know. They could have run into Ravona or Miss Minutes over there. They didn't, but it was worth a shot and worth a snack. And then the next thing they see is a, a diorama, as Loki calls it. Some totems of Odin, of Thor, and another famous Asgardian Baldur. from the comic books who has never made it into the MCU. The closest he came to being in the MCU was Daniel Craig almost playing him as a member of the Illuminati in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but it ultimately did not happen. That is Balder the Brave, uh, who is there. And in the comic books, Balder is, um, well, his status as a long-lost older sibling or older half-sibling of Thor that role was ultimately given to Hela in the MCU in terms of the uh, the family connection, but that is uh, Balder is a half brother of Thor, and therefore Loki in Marvel comic books hasn't necessarily had that role defined in the MCU because has only appeared in uh, in this form. And I love Loki being so upset and annoyed by this. No one's even heard of him, and then Mobius saying that's that Balder the Brave uh, was great, and then also Loki being so annoyed, he's got to say Thor is not that tall. That whole bit, I absolutely loved. And look, I still want to see Baldur the Brave in the MCU. Baldur the Brave is, I think, pretty cool. But uh, obviously, a lot of opportunities to potentially include this character have uh, have passed by. So finding this way to include and acknowledge this character's existence, I thought was a really fun way of doing it. I love that Loki is annoyed. I love it just as much that Mobius really knows his stuff. And that actually reminds Mobius that he should be impressed by the fact that Loki is one of them. And you see, like, then all of a sudden, Mobius is reminded that not only is this his, is Loki his friend, but he could kind of fan out a little bit, and he does in that mm-hmm. moment. I thought it was great. Mobius' arguments about food following the search for breadcrumbs was absolutely perfect. Um, and then I would also just say that for this episode, since this is the moment where we get the big look at the Chicago World's Fair, we get a really good look at a lot of characters, our main characters, but a lot of characters in the background. This is the episode for the craft awards for, you know, that I'm sure they will submit for a lot of the craft awards for Loki when it comes time, uh, comes time to submit for Emmy nominations. Because as we mentioned, production design from Khazar Farhani, this whole set piece looks amazing. And I know I'm sure there's a bunch of digital additions to it, but it all looks fantastic. And costume design by Christine Wada, really loved all of that. This show, this episode looks fantastic. And of course, because it's set in the 19th century, it obviously has to have a wildly different look than everything that we have seen up until this point in Loki or really in the MCU, but they nailed it. This episode, it's it's great in terms of story, it's great in terms of character, but also this show just continues to look great, and here's a, a wildly different example of how great this show can look, I, I think, with uh, 1893. Yeah, I love, the they nailed the look. I thought it looked great. You know, for those, this is a deep cut for the for everyone out there. Uh, Carnival, the HBO show. Oh it, yeah, it, it has it had shades of that, which is the kind of you know similar era. I'm not sure how similar, but or, or close, but similar. And uh, which I love that show by the way. That show was amazing. Um, ironically, uh, the Charlie Knopf uh, and the guy who created Carnival and, and had had uh, 
head of that series. Him and his son wrote uh, Iron Man for a short period of time uh, mm. together. So a little, 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 little side tangent there. Um, yeah, this was great. It looked great. I loved, I love the, the man, Loki and Mobius together is just like peanut butter, and, peanut butter and jelly at this point. I love these two characters together. They're so great. Yeah. I mean, they uh, were just cruising in this scene, like literally like just yeah, on this, this casual stroll and everything fantastic. was just working. Yeah, I could I could just have an episode of them walking and talking all day. That them together by themselves, not having you know to do much uh, pick, uh, exposition. Yeah. I mean, Loki is talking about fun. how he sees everything, and Loki pointing out, except the little crumb of Cracker Jack on his chin. Yeah, that's great. That's great. But the Balder thing, I have to say, I loved it. Um, I didn't know Daniel Craig was going to play Balder the Brave. Um, and and those who don't know, yes, he is the half brother of Thor. What's interesting about him is that he was a prominent supporting character of Thor for many, 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 many years. Mm-hmm. And what's hilarious even is had J- his own Walt Simonson comic series. book. Yeah, yeah during yeah, uh, done by Walt yeah. Simonson, who of course has the most legendary Thor run that that there is. So yeah, I mean, he he created Baby Bill, but he he definitely elevated Balder at some point because he's separate from the Warriors Three. He's not part of that whole thing. He's separate. And what's interesting, him and Thor are basically best friends. That's like, that was like his childhood friend growing up. What's amazing is JMS, J. Michael, Michael Straczynski, he wrote, you know, TV, Babylon 5. Also, you know, he had a, he had a cameo in Thor, the first movie. Yep. He actually wrote uh, Thor uh, post-Civil uh, War and was was doing research and was like, like you know, the real, like, you know, uh, gods, mythology, Thor, you know, everything. Balder is actually a real, like the true story or whatever the, the, the history was an actual brother of Thor mm-hmm. and had never been acknowledged before that in Marvel comics. And so he was, it was, this is only in the last, like, you know, less than 15 years or, you know, around 15, you know, less than 20 years. Yeah. We're, we're pushing 20 years now. Things, things are a lot older than we think, Paul. Uh, it m- must be, but regardless, it's really interesting because because Baldur's been around almost as the beginning of Thor's creation or like of as far as uh, in the Marvel comics. So the fact that this is ne- never was explored until pretty recent, it's pretty crazy. And I know Baldur was kind of a, a, an interesting missing character. I think the fact that, you know, it gives credence to maybe we might see this character in some shape or form uh, with, I again, I had no idea Daniel Craig was going to play him in Illuminati. That's fascinating. Yeah, I don't think that- it, it got that close to happening. I know there was concept art of Daniel Craig as Balder, and I, I don't think it really ever got that close to coming to fruition, but it, at least it was an idea that was uh, that was out there. And then, of right. course, like a lot of ideas that we never end up seeing, they just don't happen for any variety of reasons. And so... I, um, I, but I, now I, it's I, still out there. Like they, have, they have acknowledged the existence of this character. It doesn't I, have to be Daniel yeah. Craig. I don't know if, no, uh, I agree. you know, schedules yeah. will align, but at some I'm, point this. this character has a yeah. chance to, to show up. I'm going to yeah, I'm going to say this. The fact that that's like, it's, we're seeing like these little things here. If he's going to show up, it's going to be an alternate. It's going to be a multiverse character and it's going to be, and I would not be shocked if he gets supplant, he gets planted in, the main timeline, the sacred timeline through that. Like, I think that's how maybe his end will be with Thor and with other people like, or in Asgard. Cause they could very much use him as like the new, 
um, you know, segue into Asgard without Thor and Loki is like almost like that new, yeah, that new new. Well, actor Loki knows character. he exists, so there is a Balder who is on the sacred timeline. But yeah, there could potentially be another branched variant of whichever one something along those lines we potentially yeah, yeah, yeah. see. But eventually, so, he'll be there. I, that, I yeah, exactly. Yeah, essentially, I think we're they're hinting that he's coming. Is what I'm saying. So. I mean, this could just be a throwaway funny bit, and that's fine. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's the potential is still there. So Balder may have his day, and it may be more than just this moment here in Loki season two. But the next breadcrumb that they find is a sign advertising Victor Timely's Temporal Marvels. So temporal being the operative word there. And so then we go to the presentation that we caught a glimpse of during the post credit scene of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and Loki and Mobius are right. Renslayer is there with Miss Minutes hidden in her bag. And then it's him on stage, that moment that we remember from the Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania post credit scene, which was just this scene lifted out of the show and attached to Quantumania. And I think there's a couple things that I really like about this just initial moment. It goes back to, again, what we already saw in Quantumania, but still worth acknowledging here. I think this is a great moment for Hiddleston and his performance that he has to immediately sell the threat of Victor Timely or He Who Remains, and I think his expression really does that. We don't really see Loki being this scared and, and this terrified, and we've seen Loki in some pretty terrifying situations. I mean, he wasn't even... He was looking pretty nervous, but he didn't even look quite this terrified when he saw Thanos in Avengers Infinity War. So sheer terror on the face of Loki, just kind of reminding everyone of that threat level. That part I, I thought was really, really strong. And then as far as what we see happening on stage and Victor Timely, very different than He Who Remains, just in terms of the, just in terms of the, the line delivery, just the, the speech pattern, the overall presence, it's very different. This is not a guy who is... He's confident enough to be up on that stage, but he's not as confident as we saw He Who Remains at the Citadel, uh, in the Citadel at the end of time in season one. But as he goes through his whole explanation and what he has up on that stage is a very crude 19th century version of the temporal loom. And he gives his whole, goes into his whole speech about how time shapes us, and but perhaps we can shape it. And the line we remember from Quantum Mania. And he starts explaining how his machine is supposed to work, that the energy from the past, present, and future, it's all around us. And eventually his plan is to, through this machine, harness that energy to not just power the city of Chicago, but to power the entire planet. And then there's a big light-up demonstration of the temporal loom. And then that's it, end of presentation. But Loki being terrified, uh, I think, works well in this scene. I also like Mobius's response to it, that Mobius wasn't expecting this based on everything that Loki said and how fearful Loki was of he who remains that Mobius is not initially impressed and isn't really feeling that same intimidation. But Mobius is immediately aware that this is now their answer, that they don't need Miss Minutes for an override if they actually have a variant of he who remains to use his temporal aura. So Mobius's plan really changes on the fly, but Renslayer is there as well. And after the presentation, she's introducing herself to he who remains um, and then we see what Victor Timely is ultimately doing there. He hasn't mastered the TVA. He hasn't mastered all of this technology because he doesn't have the technology. But we see him setting up, uh, really creating a fake auction between somebody who really wants to take advantage of him and steal his machine and steal the patents to it 
uh, a character named Robber Baron. At least that's who he's called in the credits. I don't think that's actually the name played by Richard Dixon. But there's a plant in the audience uh, with a fantastic name that I wish they actually said in the episode. Guy Pennyman III, played by Ross Hatt. Um, and so this is all a scam on the part of Victor Timely to up the bidding so he can make a quick thousand bucks at the end of this presentation. And then he is trying, of course, to make his getaway. Uh, there's also Loki being confronted by somebody he bumped into, so they have to settle the matter outside. So Loki the Great does his magic trick to send the guy outside. I thought that was a really cool and uh, and really funny moment. But then we're about to get this uh, this chase scene outside where... Everybody realized what Victor Timely is doing. Meanwhile, Renslayer is trying to make her case of why she needs to help Victor Timely for the benefit of his future. All of this scene, well, first off, a lot of the stuff that I work out, I talked about Hiddleston selling the threat. I also really like that in Victor Timely's speech on that topic of energy, it really does. I don't know that it's really intended to, but in its own way, it just happens to kind of call back to energy is one of these root topics of the MCU that comes up over and over and over again. The idea of renewable energy, and that's not really what the temporal loom is going to do, at least not as it's talked about in previous MCU installments. But that whole concept of energy and how that's used as kind of the cover for these devices that people are creating, whether it's Tony Stark and his arc reactor with renewable energy, or the Tesseract as the warm light for all mankind, uh, all of those types of things, although that was really more of Tony stuff with uh, Avengers Tower. But all of these, th that just being a topic over and over again since phase one of the MCU and kind of using that to frame the speech and the presentation around from Victor Timely around the temporal loom. I thought that was cool, whether that was really intentionally an homage to the early days of the MCU or not. Uh, it had that effect on me and I liked it. But I also liked the way that this scene really did a good job of informing the character of Victor Timely and making him very different from He Who Remains in a lot of ways, but a lot of things that were familiar and are even more revealing about He Who Remains. And I thought it was a, a good performance by Jonathan Majors, and I thought it was really great writing because as we know or should have known, and we see it in this scene, like Renslayer is initially skeptical of this guy, not impressed by this presentation. And as we're even talking about Victor Timely, what is this guy really in this moment? Is he this fantastic inventor? Well, he is pretty good and he is pretty smart, but his primary source of income is not being an inventor. It's being, as uh, Loki puts it, a confidence trickster, which is just Asgardian for con artist. But Victor Timely prefers to see himself as a, uh, as a luminary. But everybody just immediately, a lot of the myths around the aura of He Who Remains it just fades really quickly when you see this person. I mean, there is still some intimidation factor, but it is challenged here with Renslayer being skeptical and Miss Minutes really having to sell the idea of the future. In the future, he's going to be great, not necessarily saying that he is great now. And when we think about the idea of the confidence trickster, the con artist, that fits with not just Victor Timely, but also he who remains. He created the TVA. He created it in his own image. And when that didn't work, what did he have to do? He had to run the con of creating the timekeepers and hiding himself from his own invention, from his own creation, and really working at it from behind the scenes. And even when you go back to something like Quantumania, he couldn't just fix his ship by himself. He needed Janet's help in order to be able to do it. 
And he had to do that without trying to let on to his real plan, because, of course, once she discovered it, then she was no longer uh, going to help him. And then when we talk about him being this luminary, it's apparent from He Who Remains, and now here we see it carried forward with Victor Timely, that really what this is is somebody who manipulates and deceives, and when he is challenged, I mean, here's a version who literally crawls away from a threat at one point in the foot chase in this scene, and it also really points toward that secret that was referenced at the end of this episode, and I'll, I'll talk more about that as we as we get to it, but another hint here that Yes, there's a lot of brilliance there with He Who Remains and Victor Timely, but not necessarily the capability to do everything by himself. And there is a vulnerability to this character. There is some of this, uh, some of this character's power, perhaps a lot of it, really comes from the myths that he creates around himself as opposed to what he can actually do all by himself. He is very smart. He is very capable, but he still needs a lot of help and it definitely sounds like Renslayer, this is not the first time she's helped him, that she's probably helped him at least one other time before and then maybe just didn't get any credit for it. Yeah, this is where I, I, I there's a lot of different ways you could, you could go with this angle because you're right. Like, I think that obviously this version, you know, Victor Timely is not like the same on the same level as the other Kings. Now, that being said, we don't know the significance. I think this is where there's a lot of fun, like things you could go into it. And I don't know, I, I kind of go back to my whole idea, Sean, of, of, I do think that that Kang has gone back in time and planted himself in different areas of, of the world for, for a contingency plans, you know, or the, of the, of the timeline or whatever, and finding specific areas where he could plant himself and have these things like, where he, yeah. where, or maybe he knows the, which of his other variants out are out there and which one he actually think should win. Yeah. Exa- and then, or yeah, exactly. Or, or whatever. And I do think that like Victor is a, is a, uh, a victim of the time of also of where he's at because of, you know, yeah. technology. Yeah. You know, and and I he think, says as much, right. His ideas right. are sound. His ideas are, his ideas work. He's just limited by the technology of his time. Yeah, and I think also shout out to making him look like Einstein, uh, his hair, you know, that was, I think that was very, or not, maybe not Einstein, someone else, famous inventor, that, that hair is just perfect, I thought. I got Einstein vibes for whatever reason, but I don't know, maybe I'm confusing it with somebody else. Regardless, um, I, I I love this. I, I think Jonathan Major's performance as Victor, Victor Timely was great. Um, I love I love all his performances so far. I mean, he's played basically three different characters of of a variants of the same person, and they've been I think all very very I mean, good. More um, than that, when you count the uh, mid credit scene for Ant Man and the Wasp: yeah, Quantum Mania, of course. I mean, can't yeah, that's, that's very that's all very brief. So as far as prolonged yeah. appearances, yes, we've now spent a fair amount of time with. Kang, he who remains, or a Kang, uh, he who remains, and uh, and Victor Timely, and I do think that Jonathan Majors, I think what he added to his performance, and again, a lot of credit goes to the writing as yeah. well, is again upholding and deconstructing some of the myths around Kang. You know that you you do see the credibility to the idea of him as the visionary, but. The idea that he's the one who created the TVA and built it into what it is, largely all by himself, that's the idea, that's the myth that I think they really start to peel back 
and examine and scrutinize in this episode. It's not saying Kang is, or any variant of Kang, or he who remains Victor Timely. The point of this episode is not to say that they are completely inept, that they are total frauds, and there's nothing about them that really deserves to be in the positions that they've been in. I mean, they don't really deserve to hold the power that they do, because who would? But in terms of what they've uh, what they've achieved or what variants of them have achieved, it's not saying all of that comes from nowhere and they're just lucky and it's all lies. It's just kind of going to show that something that big, as massive as the TVA is, highly unlikely that one person really creates that by themselves. And, you know, the whole idea of a guy who doesn't do partners points really more to the idea that at some point, at various points, he's needed partners. He just doesn't keep them around. Yeah, that's exactly what I, I would say, too. And I, I think that I, I love this version of, you know, again, like I, this, this, it's a different version of the same character that Jonathan Majors is playing. I I like the fact that Marvel's going, I mean, deep, deep, deep cuts with some of these things. And, and, and again, it's you could name the character Jonathan Smith at this point. And, you know, it wouldn't matter, but they're going with deep cuts, trying to make it fun for, you know, comic fans. And I, I appreciate that as a, as a hardcore fan of Marvel and that, because I didn't know who Victor Timely was. I mean, I, I posted on, on, on X formerly known as Twitter here about a, a whole, I'm holding up the trade where yeah. Victor Timely is first, first appears in, uh, uh about well, announcing we're doing a review and just and he's to em- in that trade. Yeah. And just yeah, to embrace that on the nose of a name, you know, to that point of, yeah, they could have exactly. gone with John Smith. They could have said, oh, no, that's that's too corny. That's too cheesy. Let's not do that one. No, do that one, too. Um, go yeah. ahead. And, and, and it, it works. works. Yeah, it works. It, it actually works perfectly. It fits. It fits this world or I should say, excuse me, universe that we're in a multiverses, if you will. And I think it, it just it makes it. I don't know. It's, it's I appreciate it as a fan. But like what they're giving us is so interesting and I'll get more into that when we get to have towards the end of the episode. Yeah, Victor Timely is a, a great uh, a great version of of what he's uh, put he's brought to his roles. Yeah, it's been uh, it's a really strong effort all around. Again, I think there's just a lot of a lot of really cool approaches to this. Again, credit to Jonathan Major's performance and the writing. There's a lot of things working to really add layers to this character and to this story. And while he is able to crawl away from Robber Baron and Robber Baron's gang, he's going to have a much harder time escaping from Sylvie, who's just shown up and B-15 gave the heads up about a temp pad reading that was 10 feet away from Mobius. Sylvie is there to kill Victor Timely because that's what she told Loki would do. If more variants of He Who Remains popped up, she would be there to kill them. Except Loki, once again, standing between Sylvie and her target, which means that their debate from that season one finale has the opportunity to continue here. And she had said that this is what she would do. She would kill him. And Loki is explaining why they need him, because the TVA needs him, and everything, everyone needs the TVA. There won't be anything left to fix. There won't be anyone left to save without the TVA. There's going to be no place left to go, no place to call home, nowhere safe. And then Sylvie goes ahead and makes a good point that saving the TVA from melting down and fixing it are two different things, where it's not just about fixing what is mechanically wrong with the TVA, but what has been morally, philosophically, ethically wrong 
about the TVA. Again, solid point by Sylvie, but also what Loki is saying uh, also matters. And But Sylvie also is saying that she knows she won't get any joy out of killing Victor Timely. This is just what she needs to do. And how does she know that? Well, she knows that because obviously this means she didn't get any joy or any fulfillment out of killing he who remains, that this has already been this experience that she has gone through and come out on the other side of. And while she may have had a, a, some moments of happiness at McDonald's in Broxton, Oklahoma in 1982, whatever happened at the end of season one wasn't as fulfilling as maybe she thought that it would be. Meanwhile, this is all happening on the Ferris wheel, down on the ground. Renslayer is telling Mobius how there is no we, not anymore. Um, and talking about, of course, how they're this partnership that they had, whatever they enjoyed working together at for all that time at the TVA, that is uh, 100% gone at this point. But there's still part of Mobius somewhere that wants that hopes he can reach Renslayer. He's not going to be able to, at least not for a while. And we'll see how how clearly that gets made. That point is made to him later on in the episode. But as Sylvie uh, launches her attack, uh, Loki bears the brunt of it which allows an opportunity to for Renslayer to um, gather Victor Timely and escape with him thanks to a ghostly distraction from Miss Minutes. And her saying boo and then getting into the you better run moment from the trailer was uh, was outstanding. So I love the getaway. That was fantastic. But also what was just as great or really even better was the conversation between Renslayer and Mobius talking about where things are in terms of their friendship. Again, more on that later. Uh, even better still was that debate between Loki and Sylvie because it was an argument that was never really settled. Sylvie just won that fight. So the philosophical debate, which could go on endlessly, at least has to continue in this moment here. And I think what we see as an audience is more validation of Sylvie's perspective, but also I think we have even more reason to understand where Loki's coming from because we are seeing it. We are seeing the evidence of all of this unraveling and the TVA falling apart and how, of course, that can be a, a very bad thing. So it's a lot easier to see really each of their and consider each of their perspectives, which just makes the debate that much more interesting. And it also begs the question, because Sylvie brought up an interesting point here that they are the ones who, I mean, she doesn't know at that moment, she's lumping Loki in with the TVA, but effectively the TVA is the one who brought Victor Timely into this. TVA, in this case, being really Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minutes, but they've been part of it as well. They're the ones who now put Victor Timely on this path by carrying out the plan of He Who Remains and dropping off that uh, handbook. So again, it's not necessarily loop territory because we are on a branch timeline, but it does kind of create that question about Victor Timely of who would he have been were it not for this interference by Renslayer and Miss Minutes? Was he always going to be the person that they are now afraid he might turn into? Or maybe was there an opportunity for him to potentially be someone else? And that's a question that they get to continue to examine really throughout the course of you know however much we see of Victor Timely throughout this season. Um, also, a really great thing that I want to add, just from a, a performance note, the intimidation, the absolute... Uh, I talked about Loki's terror earlier, but uh, Victor Timely just being completely terrified of Sylvie and what's happening here and really just not understanding any of it uh, also was really good from a performance standpoint. But I really like this scene, and, and I really love the argument from 
Loki and Sylvie. That was never settled. Them getting a chance to re-engage here, I thought they did an outstanding job. Yeah, this was really, um, I thought, interesting Interesting because I I think they are hinting at this whole idea of like, you know, what, who would he become? Again, I, I'm going to go with my speculation that I think these are these are these are plants by Kang the Conqueror or whoever is is planting himself in the future as con, con, contingency plans, and for these very reasons. And I think that's the whole thing. Like, yes, yeah, I, think I mean, he could have kidnapped. That's a good point. He could have kidnapped his own variants and uh, mind wiped them like he did everybody else in the TVA and just stuck mm-hmm. them at various points in time throughout a given timeline. Yeah. That's and because again, going back to that comic book again, that, that phenomenal comic. I keep telling y'all, y'all to read it, read it. Um, you know, only myself to conquer. That's essentially what he does. He yeah. basically mentors, you and know, himself. Who's and, to say he hasn't gone back and talked to these variants of himself and gave them more mm-hmm. information than they're letting on? Yeah, or, or whatever, right? I mean, like, or because I, I go back to how many times has he done this already? Right. Yeah. Like that's where, that's where I'm going into and knowing. Well, where and, where I start to suspect that he has. Well, I don't want to go out of order, but there's a moment that's coming up later where I started to suspect that Victor Timely has at least been somehow informed by he who remains and, and knows more than he should. OK, I'm probably forgetting that part. So I can't wait to get into that. So I'll just say this because I, I agree with everything. I love Miss Minutes, this whole ghost thing. That was great. I, mean, I Tara Strong has been and we'll get more of her performance here in a minute, but like has been such a great. Fantastic. Uh, I wouldn't say addition, but like expanded role has been just the right decision, like leaning into Miss Minutes, his character more was definitely the right decision and especially what because they yeah i won't get into it yet um but i'm gonna say that i um victor timely uh and that whole idea i think it it's gonna play more it's philosophical at this point but i think it's gonna be more more um uh, what's the word more defined uh as far as what that what that would have been in at some point in the series or in the multiverse saga because i i just i do feel that Kang, he who remains, whoever is the what's behind Victor Timely, ultimately everything, you know, and it's not necessarily a natural him being there. That time frame is not natural or meant to be necessarily either. So, yeah, just want to leave it there. Well, yeah, because that's not the time period where he started out when he's describing how all of this started in. Uh, right. You know, back in when he gave his whole backstory to Loki and Sylvie back in the season one finale. So yeah, there are parts of this that don't line up and you do have to wonder why. And so anyway, moving on though to the next scene with Renslayer and Timely and Miss Minutes. And so Timely shows off his uh, refrigerator chair to Renslayer, which I thought was funny um, and useful, very practical. But then um, when he's talking about, he refers to Miss Minutes again, just as this ghost. But then she clarifies that she is a fully conscious and sentient artificial intelligence entity. And of course, the what that means for her will expand, will be expanded upon throughout this episode. And I think, of course, in, in more episodes to come. But then Renslayer is the one who recaps for Victor Timely everything that that has happened up until this point, starting with a version of him had created the TVA. And it is a lot to take in. But Victor Timely's response to this is very important. This isn't the moment I was uh, referring to uh, a little bit ago. That's still to come. But Victor Timely does say, it's like the story of myself that I always imagined is true. 
Um, then, of course, Renslayer is trying to draw him in, trying to create the idea that he really needs her by his side. Uh, Miss Minutes, not necessarily a fan of this, and she interrupts saying that she predates Renslayer, she predates the TVA, and he, or a version of Timely, created her. And then they start to get on the same page of turning uh, Victor Timely against Loki to make sure he doesn't trust Loki or his butler, Mobius, uh, was a really cool. Just the reference to Mobius as the butler I, I thought was really funny. But then the uh, the mission to save the loom, though, we know that's what Loki and Mobius wants, but that's also still what Renslayer wants. Not what Miss Midas wants, we're going to find that out, but that is what Renslayer wants, because Renslayer still wants the TVA to exist. She just wants to be the one who is in charge of it, as will become even more apparent uh, as the episode goes on. But I thought this scene did a great job for Renslayer providing a, a very concise recap. So that was very nice, uh, especially as somebody you know famously on this podcast. Well, not famously, we're not famous, but Brevity, being concise, not the strong suit over here, but it's nice to see when the characters can do it in story in moments like this, because I certainly don't want to sit through a prolonged recap for uh, the, with a bunch of information I already know for the benefit of Victor Timely, but also Miss Minutes, referring to herself as fully conscious, sentient AI, she does have a mind of her own to decide for herself to work with or against Victor Timely. And we also see here that she is getting jealous of Renslayer. And, uh, but also, Miss Minutes wants to highlight her own performance. Like, that was a great trick I pulled back there, right? And wants that applause, wants the, the approval, the affection of Victor Timely for reasons that are becoming quickly apparent. Um, and then there's just no looking away from it when we get to uh, a, a future scene uh, later on in this episode. But also, the way Renslayer is angling for her position of power. And we think about what that means from her mindset right now, because what she was sold on by Miss Minutes in the beginning of the episode, it's not so much the power for herself, it's the power by being next to He Who Remains or Victor Timely. That is important. What I think is one of the greatest things that this episode does is there is such uh, a strong evolution of Ravona Renslayer as a character, not only from where she was in season one, but from the start of this episode to the end in terms of her desire for power, but also how she feels she needs to get it. That right now, and for a little bit longer in this episode, that it is all about getting power by being close to the person she perceives as being powerful, Victor Timely, the person at the end who's supposed to end up at the end of time, as opposed to maybe just seeing that power as coming from herself. That is the realization that she will come to, and I'll, I'll save more thoughts on that for when we get to that scene later on in the episode. But there is a, a solid a, a solid and strong arc for Ravona Renslayer across this series, but even within this specific episode that I thought was outstanding and one of the coolest tricks that it, that it pulls off very successfully uh, in this episode. But also, again, as I talked about before, Victor Timely's ego, his own self-importance, that this childhood dream, whatever he was imagining before that book got dropped into the window, the innocence of that childhood dream becomes corrupted, and then it becomes this, as he grows into adulthood, it becomes this full-blown delusion of grandeur that is ultimately made real because he's been clued into something that he otherwise was not supposed to be, except for this being the plan all along by, uh, by he who remains. But just that 
reference to that callback to the the ego that would just have to be there for he who remains or any variant of him, but also what we're getting from the the from a character standpoint for Ravona Renslayer in Miss Minutes. I thought this was a really great scene. Not as good as what's about to happen, I, I think, in this episode, but a really great precursor to how the the rest of this you know second half of the episode is going to go. Yeah, man, this is where things started getting kind of. I was starting to go, uh oh, what's going on here? Um, because in a good way, uh, mostly the Miss Minutes thing. I started, you know, obviously, I started yeah, we'll up. we'll get to it. We're right, but I'm I'm this I'm not going to get there yet, but I'm just saying. I started getting like, are they, uh, are they? I didn't get an, are they, it was a, is she? And then, you know, she, she confirmed it. Yeah. Yeah. No, but like, I, I, what I mean is they, are they being like the writers? Are they doing this? Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. Excuse me. I I should have clarified. Yeah. So I'm thinking I'm sitting there enjoying myself, eating my popcorn, which I I love popcorn, by the way. I eat it all. I eat it every day, all day. It's so good. Um, Anyway, good healthy snack too, if you keep it in moderation. Yeah. Also. you know, not at home, but, you know, popcorn out in public, high traffic concession stand. So, you know, also Fair an enough. area where if you're looking yes. for someone, you high, might find yes. it. High traffic. Yeah, high, high traffic. Um, I just sit there and I kind of stopped and went there. Are they doing this? Are they going there? Are they doing this? I'm like, am I reading too much into this? Am I a sicko? I don't what What am I doing here? You know, and what's what's wrong with me? Um, and but more so to the point of just kind of I'll end with this. Ravona seeing her reaction to what her motivation is really fascinating to me because I think again, going back to the end of the, going to the, you know, fast forward is a tiny bit to the end of the episode. What we're hint at, we'll talk about it here in a minute. Um, it was, it really proves that her ideas of what's going on are radically different than what, one other person might be. And I think that's, and it's not Miss Minutes. And so I think that you're, we're about to get a real, we, we get here what she wants to be, which is, oh, this, this, this person of power, I'm going to be like they're equal because they're going to be, or I'll be on that same level because of, I put so much work into this as my job because right. I'm a good worker all this stuff and like he's gonna get promoted to co-ceo yeah but why are they being promoted and the motivations of that being promoted i mean they could i don't know if they're gonna go there i i don't it it seems obvious to me that's where we're going but it's i feel but honestly i think there's, there's there's some worthwhile worthwhile themes here because of that and i think there's gonna be a lot of crazy stuff in there that they're going to be a lot. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack. And I think that we're seeing the true motivations of someone who, I mean, to be honest here, I'm just going to say, I think they're, they're legitimate in a sense of where she's coming from because she feels at this point, I've I've been picked out. I've done my job really well Mm -hmm. and we're, we're doing the right thing. He who remains has, you know, there, the, I, the ideas are sound, as far as the, you know, the or excuse me, the the heart is in the right place in some respects, but the ideas are not sound. But she doesn't know better. She doesn't know enough to know better, and that's where I think where it's so fascinating. Where we're gonna get probably, which I'm assuming, the big stuff that she yeah, Miss Minutes talks about at the very yeah. end of this episode. So yeah, th- this to me is like the crux of like 
of the, the, the her motivation here is going to be the catalyst of a lot of crap going to be happening here in a little bit. So, yeah. 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 I'll save more for her motivation when she really gets a chance to spell it out in, in one of the later scenes. But as yeah. we see for the end of this scene, the idea here is they're going to go to the TVA, but first they have to swing by uh, Timely's lab because there is a culmination of his life's work. There is a prototype that he just can't, uh, that he just cannot possibly leave without. But the lab's not there in Chicago. The lab's in Wisconsin because of lower taxes. So they got to go across the lake, but don't worry. It's the Caribbean of the Midwest, as he puts it, which I laughed out loud very hard at that. With all due respect to our, our Midwest listeners, there is no Caribbean of the Midwest. It just isn't a thing. But uh, in any event, uh, they board a ship. to. Well, also, there's a very quick chase that happens after this. I actually think this episode could totally survive without this very brief 30-second chase that happens outside of the apartment, but it was just to bring Loki and Mobius back into the action for a moment and also resolve issues with the pursuit, uh, with the robber baron's pursuit of Victor Timely. They, of course, are able to hide and get away, and Loki scares off the robber baron with some approved magic, uh, approved, of course, by, uh, by Mobius. But in any event, after that brief chase, we see Victor Timely... Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minutes boarding a ship. That ship is named the SS Heron, an Easter egg referring to Kate Heron, who, of course, directed all six episodes of Loki's first season. And then Victor Timely asks for the usual accommodations, which is hitching a ride on a lifeboat. And as he's talking about the newest prototype in his lab and recapping his own history, that there was the TVA guidebook that was dropped into his life by, as far as he knows, some divine hand, and then through the smile of Ravona Renslayer realizes that it was you. She brought it to him. Uh, Ravona Renslayer kind of stealing some credit there. I mean, yes, it's literally true that she physically brought it, but as Miss Minutes uh, fairly points out, she delivered it to him in the way that a post or brought it to him in the way that a postman brings a post. I thought that was very funny. But then getting into what this really meant for Victor Timely. And how the uh, this was, in his eyes, a correspondence between himself and the author, Ouroboros. And he may have found a way through this dialogue, through this correspondence, to solve the issue with the temporal loom. It is a throughput multiplier. And that has to be what solves the issue, because that's what exactly what OB said. They needed to increase or multiply the throughput. So there you go. That's what's going to fix the temporal loom, or so Victor Timely believes um, so there we have it. And then uh, as Ravona Renslayer is trying to firm up this partnership, we start to see that attraction. We don't know how genuine it is on her part, but of course, uh, Timely seems to be genuinely attracted to her as they're marveling at the Chicago World's Fair from a distance from the ship. He gives her a little folded up flower. And then Ravona Renslayer goes uh, a bit too strong by saying I have hopes I have high hopes for this partnership at which point Victor timely his smile fades he withdraws his hand they had just started holding hands because remember he doesn't do partners and miss minutes clocks this no pun intended immediately and smiles which cuts to uh, Ravona Renslayer being dropped off in that lifeboat of being dropped off the ship she is left to her own devices as Timely takes off with Miss Minutes, but Renslayer, ever determined, just starts rowing. 
I thought this scene was was really really great. The way it brought in that line about don't about how Victor Timely doesn't do partners from the earlier scene that it wasn't just part of the scam he was running. That's real. That's who he is. He doesn't share. Why doesn't he do partners? There's lots of reasons why. There's trust issues, surely, but also he doesn't share. He doesn't want to share credit. He doesn't want to share the rewards, um, which so that ends up being a great setup for this moment because it's actually informing us about the character. And even when you go back to the recording and it makes you think about or made me think about that recording in the season two premiere and how that even had uh, this moment right up until the line about uh, having high hopes for the partnership, we're thinking romance. And we even heard a little bit of romance in that recording in the season two premiere. But really, that's not what's going on here. At least that's not my interpretation of what's going on here. That There might have been some romantic interest between the two of them, but it is still ultimately for each of them about power in their own way. And this definitely, I think, is calling back even that moment, that recording. That recording may be really instrumental in terms of the evidence that she plays for Ravona Renslayer to uncover the big lie that is going to make Ravona Renslayer real angry. So that seems more about what that recording's about as opposed to anything that was going to stem immediately from uh, this scene. But that also doesn't mean that uh, in terms of what this is, I mean, if it's not really romance, if it's not really partnership, then it's betrayal. And that's really all that it was ever going to be. I mean, romance and partnership can still ultimate genuine romance and partnership can still lead to betrayal. But in this case, I don't know that there was ever really, truly a fully genuine intent really from either side. But as far as what this means for Victor Timely, this does still establish, as I was saying before, that, yes, there is some deconstruction, some um undercutting of the myth of Victor Timely or he who remains that it's not all him but still there's a lot of it that is him that he was necessary he who remains needed Victor Timely one way or another that he was still needed in order to fix the temporal loom because he is the one who now apparently has a design with this prototype that's going to fix it all of that I thought was really interesting and then also the way the scene closes out with Renslayer's determination that's a really key moment for that character. Obviously, it, it guarantees us that she is not done, that she has not been beaten by this moment. But I also think it is a key moment of realization for her in terms of who she needs or who she doesn't need and maybe doesn't need anyone and really is going to rely exclusively on herself in the same way it's her own two arms that are rowing that boat to get her where she needs to go. From this point forward, although she's eventually going to look like having assist from Miss Minutes, but she can still get what she get what she wants on her own and really take charge, which I think is what we see the next time she pops up in this episode. But that whole sequence on the the SS Heron, I thought was really good with strong character notes for, for really everybody involved. In, and as I said, the, the determination of Ravona Renslayer and the moment of realization for there is a is a key takeaway to close it out. Yeah, I man, this is where Woo, it's getting crazy. And I love, I just love this, this, uh, like this tension they're kind of building up with these characters. Cause you know, cause we know, we know as fans uh, who read the comics or, or do the, you know, if you want to read a, read a Wikipedia page, whatever, you're going to get you know, this information, but they're building the tension that you haven't. And I like that. And I like the fact that Miss 
minutes is kind of like this totally um, out of left field um, dark horse, if you will, of just you have no I, I have no idea what's going to go on with this character. And I think I find it fascinating that she exists for that. And I just I, I love that. And it's to be really interesting to see what they do with it. And uh, just just the whole buildup of this of these this interactions. And again, what does Ravona want from this completely? What is does she know? Does she not know? How much does she know? Is really fascinating. Obviously, she doesn't know everything what we get, but just what her mo- true motivations are, everything is just it's to me it's it's still not completely uh 100 and i think that's all purposeful obviously and it's building that tension between all these different characters and it's amazing that it's building up this tension with, with timely but it also is in, in in essence doing that with all the different variants of kang essentially in my opinion so it's just because you're building up her own character and what she represents and yeah it, it's really fascinating what they're doing i think with ravona a lot so i i love I love her character in season one and just a little bit we've gotten in season two with her. This one episode is just is huge. Yeah. And I think it's really comes down to sure. As Sylvie points out later, she wants power, but to do what? And so I think that's really, but also remember there's a a part of Ravona Renslayer that does clearly believe in the mission because even when she's confronted with the idea of what the TVA is or that it was a lie, what did she say? Why do you think that changes anything? In her mind, it doesn't change the value of the mission, the necessity of the mission and everything that she's been carrying out. So, but we'll get more into that as we, when she gets to give a great speech about her motivation later on in here. But when we get to the lab, there are a few specific, a few different things to break down in the lab. Let's go ahead and start with this interaction between Victor Timely and Miss Minutes. And we get to see the culmination of his life's work in physical form, not just the sketch. And it is this prototype which based on the sketch, it matches the sketch of what he said was the throughput multiplier. But I don't know, uh, Paul, to me, it, it also kind of looked like maybe his ship or maybe it could be a piece of his ship. Uh, I'm, when we talk about the motivation of Victor Timely yeah. or Kang or He Who Remains, I think the whole idea is selling. This is a fix to solve your problems. But really, I need access to make what I really want to make, which is not what you want or need or care about what I think is actually going to be better and allow me to do whatever it is I need to do. So I'm not really sure there, but even the way it kind of opened up and something's kind of spinning around it, we don't really see. It did just kind of remind me of some of the movement of his ship that we saw in quantum mania. Again, it's not dead on and we don't get a a clear enough look at it to say definitively, but it just had me thinking that maybe the uh, it's, it's a fake out. It's another manipulation by, um, by the confidence trickster of uh, of Victor Timely as far as what the throughput multiplier actually is. Or maybe it really is a fix for the temporal loom. We shall see. Maybe, maybe it's just like a, a an offshoot of the ultimate nullifier, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean it could be that. Or it, <laughs> if it, well, if it gets thrown into, even if it is something that's going to be attached to the temporal loom and it's not about his ship and that's something different, then it could still be something that is meant to give him an make sure he comes out with the advantage as opposed to it's not fixing the temporal loom for the sake of everyone across every potential branch timeline. It is ultimately for Victor timely, he who remains or some variant thereof to get what they ultimately want. But let's focus on what, uh, what miss minutes says that she wants. And as, uh, as timely collects his prototype and he's ready to move on and, and go to the TVA like they were supposed to, 
Uh, Miss Minutes suggests that instead they they lay low for a while because they cause quite a ruckus. She changes to the normal orange color scheme that we're used to seeing, and even blushes a little bit as she starts talk as she talks that talks about how she was a little bit worried that maybe he liked Ravona instead. And then Miss Minutes recaps their entire relationship up until this point that. He created her and it could have just been she could have just been an AI to play chess with just past the time. But he ultimately gave her autonomy to write her own programming, have her own wants, follow her own whims. And she could have done anything because she was free to make her own choices. But still, what she wanted to do was spend each night playing chess and talking with he who remains. And as he's trying as timely as trying to sum this up as them being loyal friends, more than friends is what Miss Minute says. And then, oh, by the way, the one whim that he never allowed her to follow, the one thing he did not give her was a body and the freedom that comes with having a body. And that is what she wants now. And as Timely is struggling to get the words out that he can't actually do that, then she's making the point that he never even tried. And really, if she had a body, then she could be his girl, his girlfriend. Um, but... Uh, Victor Timely immediately finds that way too clingy. It's another partnership that he is not interested in. And so he goes ahead and he, you know, bottles up Miss Minutes and that little whatever temp pad, temp pad device or whatever it is that she is ultimately stored in. So no partners and no AI girlfriends either. And I can't say I saw this level of affection between Miss Minutes or on the part of Miss Minutes toward He Who Remains I didn't quite spot this in the first season, but this episode definitely made it clear that this is where we were headed. And it's certainly fair to argue that Miss Minutes, as they tell us in this episode, as she tells us in this episode, is a fully conscious, fully conscious, sentient AI that if she were to want a body, she should want it for more reasons than to have a relationship with he who remains or Victor Timely, and perhaps she does. She probably does. But she's also, I think, what happened here in terms of where is this coming from? If this just is too weird for someone or you know, they write it off for some other reason or they don't think it works or don't like the idea that Miss Minutes is motivated by some romantic affection for he who remains, I can certainly understand that as a criticism and understand or understand those as potential criticisms and why... It may not work for someone. It works for me. The weirdness of it, I can take because this is a weird show, including this variant of Loki being in love with another variant of himself, another variant of Loki with Sylvie, because they are still ultimately different people. And when you listen to what Miss Minutes describes, and this is where really I think the weirdness of it kind of overtook everything in the my first viewing of it. But upon subsequent viewings and really hearing what she's saying and thinking about all of what she's saying and what it entails, what she's just described there is an intimate relationship that has lasted longer than any other in history, right? I mean, obviously not our real history, but this is a love for her that has spanned eons. We're talking about every night. We're not talking of them playing chess and talking and deepening this relationship, the affection that she feels toward he who remains. This was not done over six months. This wasn't done over five years, over 10 years. This is done over not even a millennium, way more than that, eons, just all of time at the end of time, um, just limitless, really, in terms of how much time they spent together. 
And so I can understand where she might have, as a fully conscious sentient AI, how she might have developed feelings. And that love not being reciprocated, I don't think it's just AI woman scorned. Maybe there's some of that, but I also think that really it confirms what Miss Minutes has long suspected about He Who Remains, because she even says, you never even tried. There was some resentment that Miss Minutes was harboring there, and she does know that He Who Remains, there is vulnerability, because even through Victor Timely, yeah, he will become a great man, but he's not always a great man. He's not always unstoppable. He is vulnerable, and and of course, for He Who Remains, there's a part of her that I think resents him for the, the idea of, again, that whole doesn't do partners. Yeah, that benefited her with Ravona Renslayer as a rival, but it doesn't benefit her when she wants to be that partner, when she wants to be that equal, because in his mind, no one could ever be his equal or his partner, even her. And she is kind of questioning him when she says, even when not being able to create or didn't create or didn't try to create a body for her with all your powers. And then she uses air quotes when she says abilities to even really question just how much ability he who remains had that obviously he has a lot and Victor Timely does too, but doesn't have the power to do everything. It doesn't always have the will to do everything. Maybe there's been somebody else. And of course we are certainly meant to believe that Ravona Renslayer is at least one, someone else there. Yeah. Woo. We got some. Yeah. Wow. Right here. Sean is when I was like, Holy hell, they're doing it. Like they, they went full on, you know, lover scorned, uh, in some ways. And, and, uh, you know, I say lover very, I think that, but I I think lover scorned is only part of what's happening here. I I agree. I agree. I, there's a, I, I thought to be honest, the way Tara Strong's performance is extremely creepy. Like they totally, like she totally plays this very innocent voice. So, perfectly as in, in, in a way where I don't trust what she's saying either. Like she's a great, she's just a brilliant voice performer. It's crazy. And I, 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 I like where they're going with it because with this, because it's, it's super unique and you have this very cartoony looking thing with a very like, again, like very human aspect and it's it's very fascinating to have that like as a as a, as a storyline. It's just it's very weird, and but actually have it be believable because or in a in a sense of where it could go because I think Miss Minutes represents an aspect of Kang that we're gonna get as as a, he he doesn't do partners well. It's why he's King the Conqueror. He just conquers by himself constantly. Again, we're gonna touch on that in a little bit here. And he doesn't have any other human partners. And I think it's it's going to be interesting where they go with that. Because one thing, one thing I, I immediately went to, and this is just my own Marvel brain, is that Miss Minutes only represents one interpretation of what King the Conqueror or whoever is going to create. I think they're establishing right now that the, that that Nathaniel Richards, Victor Timely, whoever is going to create some kind of AI that's going to probably be a lot different than what Miss Minutes is. And then that's what I think we're going to be getting is and that's where I'm, I've, I've already hinted at it already. Uh, Sean, I kind of mentioned it last episode. I put it on a panel of it the other day. I think Jocasta is going to play a part in this somehow because her origins are in the, 
uh, Ultron AI, like in the comic books. And that's just not going to happen here, right? Like it's, it's uh, Ultron's essentially gone at this point. I, I'd be shocked if he comes back at all. Well, I mean, Ultron's there. I mean, technically was there in uh, Damage Control, the Avengers VR experience from a few years back. But also yeah. um, there in the multiverse, right? The the Ultron who won, uh, Infinite yes. Ultron, Infinity Ultron in, uh, in What If. I don't know. I mean, look, there are a lot of secrets, a lot of lies from He Who Remains and, and Victor Timely. So who's to say that... Um, you know, when Miss Minutes first becomes uh, self-aware that she's told she was created by he who remains, Nathaniel Richards, insert name here. She was told that. But who says who says that's really true? What if it was I've commandeered the AI of Jocasta and I'm going to take credit for it because I've also taken credit for other things um, and lied about other things? So. I mean, that potential is still there. I don't know if there's going to be some Ultron uh, Jocasta connection to any of this. Um, if there is, I, great. I, if not, fine. Well, but I'm well, well, I'm really well, more interested I, in this as far as Miss Minutes for who well, she is as a character in this story, which I think is great. Well, I, I agree. But what I'm saying is I don't think Miss Minutes has... I think she only represents a small idea of a greater idea that I think they're, they're, they're going to expand on because if she is, because think about this too, her AI is built around the TVA specifically. So I don't think her, that ver this version will last outside of Loki. And that's why I think I mean, Jocasta, it can, because she says she gets to write her own programming. So she could have but, eclipsed whatever she was, you know, whatever boundaries I, she was created for. Maybe I may, and maybe they will, but I don't think so because, because of the different Kings, if she was, if this was like not a multiverse story, then yeah, then I'd say all bets are off, but because it's a multiverse story and there's different Kings, she's probably aware of that. And that's why there's probably other versions of Miss Minutes or an AI program that is out there. That's why I keep going back to that idea because I think that, that she's not the only thing of her kind of, of, of an AI that assists Nathaniel Richards, he who remains, whoever. And that's why I think it's really fascinating about this. There's a lot of different uh, avenues they could go down and that's really cool. And I think that, and again, it could just be Miss Miss Minutes and that'd be fine too. She's a great character. I didn't, I didn't think I'd like her as much. I didn't think I didn't like her. I liked her fine in the, in the previous season. I thought she was cool, but I wasn't like, Oh my God, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't as enamored with her as everybody else was. Maybe I still liked her a lot, but I think people went a little overboard with the character, but now I I'm all in. I, I think she's a great character. So, yeah, well, I think before but, she was there as being really just kind of whimsical and fun in the show. And then yeah, exactly. you know, occasionally yeah. had these moments pointing to her being a little bit more threatening, but she didn't have this, fully formed multi-dimensional identity that they're starting to give this character, um, especially in this episode. But that's why I like this episode so much is that, right. yeah, yeah. you know, you look at Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minutes and that they're dropped into the show, you think to play certain roles, but then over the course of the show, they really expand on it, which with Ravona Renslayer honor some of what was there in the source material or for something brand new like Miss Minutes, that they both get their own kind of equal weight in this story in their own ways and their own perspectives. And the whole idea of if she is a fully conscious sentient AI, let's go ahead and let's explore that and explore who this character is and what she wants. And I think she obviously named a specific thing that she wants, a couple specific things, a body, and then this relationship with, uh, with he who remains. But I think it's, yeah, it is going to go deeper than that. And, and also at the same time, like, like you said, I mean, she was created before the TVA, before the multiversal war, 
So that speaks to the point that, yes, if he created her, if he who remains created Miss Minutes prior to the multiversal war, then it would stand to reason that every other variant would have had the opportunity to potentially create their own AI. But maybe that's also part of what she wants is how do I make sure I'm the last one standing? Um, And so there's a lot of different things that could potentially a lot of different directions this could potentially go. But as far as where they went in this episode so far, um, really, really thought it was it was interesting. Again, very uh, certainly weird, uh, certainly yeah, unexpected, a little, odd. <laughs> a little yeah. odd, unexpected. But again, I, I don't think it it breaks the boundaries of some of the weird things that this show has already done. This show with an alligator Loki and all kinds of crazy things happening in the void. So I think that it's it's par for the course as far as what this show can do, but not in this boring, expected way and in, in a completely unexpected way that really, I think, sets up this character for even more. And again, it's not like I don't think everything that Miss Minutes is about to do is informed by this moment where she was rejected. That's more of, you know, the last straw, really, where you could already tell that some of that resentment was already there and had been building for a long time. And it just culminates here where, you know, she's just trying to get the words out. I love you that she is uh, is put away and then not brought back until Ravona brings her back at the Citadel uh, at the end of time. But speaking of Ravona, she comes back as Miss Minutes is put away and she has found a prototype of a time stick to do some pruning. And she proclaims that she is now in charge, that she was just following orders from somebody who is now dead with He Who Remains. That's not Victor Timely. So she's not there to... Um, to prop him up anymore. She's not there to help him. She is there to take charge for herself and Loki and uh, Loki and Mobius catch up and Mobius is telling Ravona that she has lost her way. And then she goes off talking about how she's made the hard decisions that he never had the nerve to make. She talks about how she put the TVA above herself at the cost of her own happiness, at the cost of her humanity, and also points out that, hey, the second she left the TVA, Everything crumbled. She's the only one who can bring stability to the TVA. She's been doing it, and she knows this because she's been doing it thanklessly for eons. Even go so far as to say, none of your words mean a thing. All that matters is order versus chaos. I'm order. Really great line to uh, close out that speech. And I thought this was such an awesome and powerful moment for Ravona. And it is kind of odd because... This kind of affirmation of her own power, it almost feels like a moment that's reserved more for a protagonist than an antagonist. But I don't know that Ravona is always going to be in the role of antagonist. She very well could be. But if the TVA survives, she's in the middle right now. Yeah. But if the TVA survives, there's a world in which she's the Nick Fury of the TVA. So um, because she does have a point, obviously, she's done a lot of terrible things, but Most of the terrible things that she, I mean, so has Loki, by the way, and most of the terrible things that she has done has been under the understanding that it was necessary and with without knowing that all these things about the TVA were lies. So the depth of the bad things that she was done was most a lot of that was still unwitting. But obviously, even when she was presented with those lies, she said, why do you think that changes anything? I don't know that she's really had the time to totally really consider that. And I think that's kind of where we're at for this character is 
a moment where we will see what she wants. She knows she wants power. She wants to have this control. But what will she actually do with it? Which, of course, you know, is a question that can be answered as the series goes on. But for this moment, when I talk about the character evolving over the course of just this episode, not to mention the entire series up until this point, this is the moment where it culminates, at least for now. This is a really a really strong, powerful key moment in her character arc because of how her her own mindset, her own perception of of what it means to have power, to be power to be powerful, it has changed right here and now. And she has come to that realization, whether it was while she was rowing the boat or sometime in between. When she's here now, she initially thinks in this episode that the path to power for her is aligning herself with Victor Timely to gain some of the power that he has. Well, here in this moment, she is flat out claiming this power as her own. And I think that really also, I think with with this speech and why I found it to be so powerful for her is I think it does inform her past because you can look at the things that she's done. She was certainly callous in how she treated Sylvie. And she may have seemed callous in how she treated Mobius. But she says here, she spells it out emphatically, that she put the TVA above herself at the cost of her own happiness, at the cost of her humanity. Well, she did. What that says to me is that the friendship that she had with Mobius, even though she's denying it or moving on from it now, it was real for her at the time in that moment. Whatever friendships and connections she had, especially the one with Mobius, since that's the one we've seen, That was real, and that meant something to her. It made her unhappy, and therefore it also made her unhappy to lose it. And these relationships, these friendships that I do believe she valued, those were things that put her in touch with her humanity. So when she makes herself unhappy, when she denies those things, that's where she's losing her humanity because that's what she feels she has to do for the sake of the TVA because whatever she felt, whatever relationships she had, And no matter how important those were to her, no matter how happy any of those things made her, those connections made her, no matter how much of her own humanity, how much better in touch she was with her humanity as a result of all those things, it just never surpassed the TVA on her list of priorities. So all the things that she's done, the choices that she's made, a lot of those choices probably have hurt her, but she stands by them because of what she believed was necessary. Now, that's not excusing what she's done for us as the audience. It's just showing us more of her perspective and informing that perspective a little bit better than maybe we we had known before, that this is someone, Ravona Renslayer, as she sees it, she acts and she will continue to act. Victor Timely and he who remains before him might see himself as the great man who deserves to be in charge just like he imagined, Ravona Renslayer, from her perspective, she's the one who must be in charge, not because there's no one else as smart or as gifted as she is, but because no one else possesses the will that she does. That's what she's really speaking to, in my interpretation anyway, of uh, her scene. Incredible performance uh, in this moment, I mean, throughout the episode, but particularly in this scene uh, by Gugu Mbatha-Rob as, uh, as Ravona Renslayer. I love this scene so much. As I said, it's this own distorted, warped thing that kind of happens in the complex, multiversal uh, philosophy and ethics of this show, that this is almost a protagonist moment in her own way by allowing her, the uh, affording her this opportunity to explain herself and her priorities and what and how she's trying to do and has been trying to do 
what she felt was necessary for the sake of everyone, even though she hasn't liked it, even though this hasn't necessarily been what she wanted to do. She was willing to do it because she just believed that that's, that is what absolutely had to happen. So that level of conviction being displayed in the character, I think makes her that much more interesting as a character. And it just adds to the questions of what will she do with that? Obviously, she's about to gain a lot more power. What will she actually do with that? What decisions will she make going forward? Because obviously, Mobius at this point feels she's lost. That's why she'll eventually leave Ravona to uh, to Sylvie to sort out. You know, at that point, he has to be under the assumption that Sylvie is going to kill her. But there was that look from Mobius that made him think that. There was a little bit of regret in what he was doing and stepping through the time door without her that in that moment, effectively, he's giving up on her, but there's still some part of him somewhere that maybe believes. And is that belief well-founded? I don't know. But this was a big moment for Ravona Renslayer that was uh, really held up by such an outstanding performance. Yeah, I don't really have much to add. So because I think you summed it up perfectly. I'm, I'm ready to get into this, this speculation of this, this, this ending here. Well, we're we're a couple steps away from the ending. We're uh, we, oh, we got to talk about uh, Sylvie's choice here because she does ah, show right. up to uh, to interrupt all of this because it actually looked like right before Sylvie showed up that Ravona was about to prune Victor Timely. You know, she That's right. charged up the time stick. You know, the 19th century prototype version of the time stick, and she was ready to use it. And then she was stopped by Sylvie. And as I mentioned, the moment where Mobius kind of looks back at her knowing that he may very well, and it's his, in his mind, in all likelihood, he is leaving Ravona to her death because leaving her with uh, with Sylvie. And so Sylvie is, uh, she stops the pruning of Victor Timely. I don't know that that's what she really meant to do to save him. But then uh, there's nobody there now at this point for to stop Sylvie from being the one to take out Victor Timely. So Loki is not standing between them like he was between her and he who remains at the Citadel, Citadel at the end of time. Like he was earlier in this episode on the Ferris wheel, there was there is absolutely no one between Sylvie and Victor Timely. He is forced to fend for himself, and he says, "You don't know me. You don't know that I. You don't know the heart that I have beating in my chest. I can make my own choices. I'm not the man you think I am." And Sylvie ultimately can't do to him what was done to her. And this, Paul, is what I was referring to earlier on when I talked about this speech could be informed by He Who Remains. That Victor Timely doesn't know Sylvie, unless he does. As far as we know, he doesn't know Sylvie. But he really does say the absolutely perfect words to call back to the position that she was once in, to put himself in the position that she was once in. And you can write all of this off, and maybe it was as him saying these very natural, organic things to try and and beg for his own life, to try and say that he doesn't deserve to be judged, that these are all valid points that he's making without any knowledge of what happened with Sylvie. And all of that tracks 100%. So there may be nothing to this, but this was definitely a moment where his words are so spot on and so perfectly measured to be exactly what he needs to say that it does make me wonder if he who remains gave Victor Timely some sort of heads up or whatever, or in some way, shape, or form, he somehow had some clue as to what he needed to say because it was 
perfect that he positioned himself as someone being judged for for the actions of their variants, not what he had actually done or thought and not who he believed he really was. So how could Sylvie, I mean, and he doesn't say, of course, he doesn't actually say anything like this. This is me <laughs> interpreting it now, but in the mindset that how these words worked on Sylvie was put was putting that question in her mind of how could she possibly do to him exactly what was done to her? And she ultimately decides not to do it, which does count as as growth for Sylvie, certainly, that um that she doesn't make this choice to kill him, that in she doesn't make the same choice that she made back in episode back in the season one finale, which you could say this is different, because that he who remains had done all the bad stuff. Victor Timely actually hasn't done any of the bad stuff yet. So it is putting her in that different position. And she doesn't want to be doing to someone else what was done to her. So that's why, again, those words are so perfect uh, and why it works and how it convinces her. But also, in terms of growth, this is also, I think, a reflection of what she said earlier, that it wouldn't bring her any joy to kill Victor Timely, that she has to have considered what killing He Who Remains did for her, but also what it didn't do for her. It didn't bring her any joy. It wasn't as fulfilling as perhaps she thought it would be. Loved having free will, loved having options at McDonald's and everywhere else, but it doesn't mean that it was all as satisfying as uh, as it was supposed to be in her own head. And I think that ultimately is also inform- informs her choice not to kill Renslayer, because now Renslayer has done the bad things. And so it's not the same issue or it's not the same moral question in Sylvie's mind as Victor Timely, but there's some other path that she's going to choose. And she may not know exactly what that is, but just killing anybody standing in her way is also not going to be the way that, that Sylvie handles things moving forward. Not that that's all she's ever done, but I thought this moment for her was interesting. And it did make me wonder though, what does Victor Timely know? Yeah, I, I read into it on on the surface is that he he kind of put things two and two together and now again i i just read it as face value i i you know i think it very well could have been tipped off in that book maybe that that book specifically had the whole guidebook but also on top of that like maybe a little personal note from he who remains but like and when you see sylvie (laughs) yeah tell her this quote i'll see you soon i told you i told you i'd see you soon uh I mean, I think that's a possibility, and I wouldn't be mad at that idea. I just, at this moment, I don't think, I just didn't read it that way. Again, yeah. I could be completely wrong. And I lot because either and, a, w- and actually, a, a note in the TVA handbook is probably more useful than, uh, and certainly more practical than actually going and visiting somebody like right. uh, like Victor Timely, but who knows? I mean, that, that's kind of, that's, that's what I think. Maybe anything, just also included, you know, a passage from how to win friends and influence people. I, I don't know, but... It's, it's possible, but and that's what I'm saying I mean, is like, the words I think, were perfect though. Yeah. And that, and that's where I think is a possibility. And, but either way, I just, I write, I read it at face value that timely hasn't done anything yeah. yet. And he, and, and, and so, it works on that level. It totally works on yeah. that level, but man, it's so the pinpoint accuracy of, of what he said. I agree. Even, yeah. even the order in which he said them all, which, you know, is also because it was written by a professional screenwriter, so that has a lot to do with it. But um, yeah, it, it was it was the perfect thing he could have said to Sylvie, and and also with uh, no more or fewer words than needed to be said in order to effectively talk her out of killing him. So it worked. Yeah. No, exactly, and so I think that there's a 
Yeah, I, I, I think that, that that to me was a really cool line. I love that aspect of it. I, I like the fight scene between uh, Sylvie and uh, Ravona and or not really a fight. Yeah, scene, not guess, even a fight. Just, you know, jabs her with the, yeah. you know, the handle of the, the sword and then, you know, kicks her through a time door, which is definitely a, a strong Sylvie move, you know, similar to season one finale. She kicks Loki out of the Citadel uh, at the end of time via a time door. And this time she kicks Ravona Renslayer into the Citadel at the end of time uh, via a time door. But again, just another thing for that Mobius, you know, look back to Renslayer. Leaving her behind, you know, presumably to her death, doesn't really feel like a Mobius move, but maybe that's just how lost um, he thinks she is. But I still think in Mobius's mind that if uh, if Ravona can somehow find her way out of that situation, there might be some path toward redemption for her. I don't know that that's the path she's actually going to walk in this story. I do think there's some part of Mobius, though, that maybe maybe believes that possible is possible, but certainly not confident in it based on the way he acts at the end of that episode. But anyway... Um, Sylvie kicks Renslayer to the Citadel at the end of time. And what we see is what remains of he who remains. And then Miss Minutes pops up because Renslayer has summoned her there, finishes the I love you that she was trying to say to Victor Timely. And then Miss Minutes points out the strategic error in betraying someone or angering someone who knows all of your secrets. Those secrets, of course, being those of he who remains. And Miss Minutes knows a big one about Renslayer that's going to make her real angry. And that is the end of our episode. So potentially, uh, you could certainly argue a strategic error by Sylvie, maybe, if Renslayer still ultimately continues to work against them. Um, But also, Sylvie wasn't making a strategic decision in that moment. She was making an emotional and moral decision in that moment and again demonstrating her growth that as far as killing Renslayer she imagined it as she says a thousand times each more brutal than the last but she's ready to move on from the the vengeance phase in her purpose and and move on to to something else Um, also interesting to see though just the remains of he who remains and that there is decay I don't know that I would really think that time would pass at the citadel at the end of time but clearly it does um, and also points to just the the flesh and blood of he who remains and the very mortal vulnerability that comes with a character like that where you wouldn't necessarily assume that that is what happens, but you do see that. He was a man who could be killed and his body does decay like anyone else's would. Um, and then this partnership between Renslayer and Miss Minutes, this is going to be really interesting to watch because you still have to wonder how genuine this partnership is, how stable this alliance is, because just moments before, neither one of them was really all that big of a fan of the other. But this is certainly, at the very least, this is an alliance where the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So that is where this partnership comes from. But they're both interested in amassing power in their own way. So will their goals continue to be aligned, or will that just be a temporary thing before they inevitably diverge or come back into conflict with one another. So I'm very interested to see this partnership, but also the secret that Miss Minutes is referring to. I think it goes back to some origin or you know, has something to do with that recording um, of the, the partnership, the what seemed to be this very positive moment for He Who Remains and Ravona Renslayer. And my only thought at this point is, without getting too specific, but 
this is something to the effect of, at some point, he who remains really needed something from Ravona Renslayer, and there was something she did, an idea she had. I don't know if it's a thing that she invented or a strategic idea she had or some combination of those things where Ravona Renslayer had power, had a genuine contribution, and really deserved to be a partner of He Who Remains. Not necessarily romance, that could have been part of it, but certainly in terms of the partnership of running the TVA and winning the multiversal war, that Ravona Renslayer played a key role in that and was deserving of more than the role that she has ultimately had. But whatever she did, he who remains effectively stole that from her, stole her achievement or stole what should have been the reward for that achievement, kept it all for himself and wiped her memory, dropped her all the way down to, at the very least, we know the role of Hunter didn't even immediately uh, drop her down to the role of judge in the TVA, wiped her memory and just left her to work her way through middle management in the TVA for all time. So yeah, that is for all time always. That I think that's going to be the big secret for Ravona Renslayer is that feeling that she had of how the TVA can't possibly run without her. That is so much more true than she ever realized. And when she finds out the full depth of that and, and he who remains betrayal and deception, yeah, that's going to make her real angry. Yeah, this is so loaded, man. Um, I, you know, I, I think that with, for me, Ravona's, uh, revelations and I don't want to explore it for other people. I'll try to keep it as minimal as possible, but obviously there's a deeper relationship between her and whoever is ultimately behind her being there in the first place, whether it be he who remains. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of stuff here that they're going to really hint at. And I, or not hint at, but really go down, I think with, with these characters. And I think it's gonna be fascinating because, you know, if I look at the comics as the inspiration, as, as the basis of at least a, a jumping on point of where to go in the story, there's a lot of complexity here that I think is, 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 is worth looking into. And I think because in, in the comics, Ravona is, you know, is it, one version of her is in love with Kang and that doesn't work out. And why doesn't it work out? And why, why is they why aren't, if they are meant to be in love, why isn't he who remains and Ravona like on a, on a, the same level, uh, at the beginning of the show of Loki season one. And I think that is a big indication of what we're doing here. And I think, unfortunately, manipulation is a, is the basis of it. And I think that the reason she exists in that spot is because of her, of his past ex- experience with a previous Ravona Renslayer variant and where that goes. And I, I think, think it's because a, of this Ravona Renslayer variant. I, think, I don't think so. I think I don't this think happened so. to her. I don't think so. Because I think to me, the reason why I not, no, listen, let me be very clear. I don't, I'm not trying to undermine this Ravona. Cause I think this is, I love this version I think what's going to end up happening is that it's going to be an alternate version. So it's going to add insult to injury to this version where it's like, I'm not even the real one, but I'm being a pawn in this because of a variant that I don't even know and have a connection with. I feel, but I feel like this is what's going to, I don't know. I think it's much more personal if this lie and this betrayal is something that this Ravona was directly impacted by with He Who Remains. That makes more sense to me. That, I think, is a a bigger betrayal 
in my eyes anyway, and that's why I expect it to be. And also just the, the plotting of the series so far is that they've already told us that this is what he does. He wipes memories. And so I think hers was wiped as well, that this version of Ravona helped out a lot, was instrumental in the power that, sure, yeah. that he remains in. And then as far as the romance angle of it, I think it was a partnership that was strategic. And then I think there was a bit of you know romance that was kind of evolving from it. Whether that's something that Ravona was already feeling on her own, or whether that was something that he who remains was really emphasizing to just try and get closer to her to facilitate his ultimate betrayal of her, you know, that we'll we'll see how they do it specifically. But well, I'm definitely of the mind that whatever happened that's going to anger this Ravona to learn, I think it happened to her, not a variant of her. And and, I, and I'd be fine with that, too. But the reason why I don't think that is because Kang's whole basis, to me, he conquers. And like, and this is not just before I read that comic series, but this is like, I've always known this about Kang. Kang, again, is very much in line with Mr. Freeze. His motivation is that he could conquer everything, but not the one thing he can have. And that's something that Roy Thomas has been writing about, about, about the character, the Everything based on the character is that he conquers everything except the one thing he can't have, which is one person that he that that Ravona he can try to emulate because there's millions of very variants of each other. And it's evident that Kang goes and there's different versions of himself that are all different aspects of his personality. There's only one specific person, you know, whatever. Right. And so I think that that's the whole, that's the reason why I think Ravona is in the position of where she is, because I think he who remains they're they're all they're all chasing the same Ramona or Ramona, sorry, Ravona. I got Scott Pilgrim in my mind that I think that that's what they're trying to do. And they're trying to get that to work and it's not working. And when they when she finds that out or she she doesn't reciprocate that version or whatever, it becomes a problem. And I think before them because they can't handle that. And I think that's why Ravona's not in because to me, if it, that was the case, then uh, he who remains would have had Ravona on a, on like next to him. Like they'd be like together. I mean, again. But remember, he doesn't it, do partners. He doesn't actually want to share all of that credit. Timely. That's timely though. That's not that he who remains. That's I different. think it's I think it's he who remains as well. I I really think that's kind of what it's driving at. Is there are certain things that are. Just like with all these variants of Kang, there are reasons why they all ultimately fail, and that's because there are flaws that tend to be present in all of them that maybe manifest in different ways, but at the same time, there are these common traits within them. And I think that as far everything that you're saying, it all still works as plotting and as motivation for Kang, even if it is the same Ravona. So I'm not necessarily disputing those as eventual points that could tie into this, but mm, yeah. I feel like it's definitely a much more personal thing. I mean, Yes, it's still personal, and it is definitely possible. I'm not saying there's no way it happens. It is possible that this conversation happens between this recording between He Who Remains and Ravona, and it doesn't go the way for whatever reason that He Who Remains wants, and his ultimate decision is to prune her and then uh, kidnap another variant of her and have her toil away in you know at, in entry level positions or at best middle management in the TVA so that could totally be it so i'm not saying that's not what's going to happen i just feel like and even if that is what turns out to happen i feel like it's stronger if the vengeance is more direct if it's something that really specifically happened 
to her. And because we know he wipes memories, I think that's what creates that uh, that possibility. But regardless of how it unfolds, obviously there's a lot more to uncover here as we go on. We have a whole second half of a season for them to uh, unravel more of these mysteries for us. I think it definitely puts, regardless of what happened in the past, what's going to happen in the present and the future, obviously Ravona and Miss Minutes have now been positioned and really effectively in a way that's earned on large part by uh, by what happens, the heavy lifting being done in this episode. Both of them are now in positions to play even more significant roles than we would have initially thought, not necessarily based on the comic books, but certainly based on what was happening in story in the MCU version in the first season. And so even if this is where they were always going to go, and I'm sure that was part of the planning for thinking about how they would go from one season to the next, they earned it. They earned it here with a really great episode that did a lot of great character work yeah. for both Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minutes. And that's the thing that I'm the most impressed by and pleased with this episode Yes, we got Loki and Mobius doing Loki and Mobius things, and it was a whole lot of fun and certainly got to see a this new version, new to us version of Victor Timely, and that was great. But I, I think really what this, uh, you know, the greatest achievement of this episode in my eyes is, is what, it what it accomplishes for Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minish, which I thought was just absolutely huge. But it, it really also continues on. This is probably the biggest brightest shining example of it but such a great job in this series especially in season two of really expanding on the supporting cast around loki and mobius that yes they have this magical tandem of tom hiddleston and owen wilson and they can do anything just strolling around eating cracker jacks is amazing to watch them do but they can still do a lot more with these other characters and honoring the presence of these other characters with the roles that they give them and how they get there is really, really great to see and just outstanding character work and storytelling by everyone involved, you know, in the in the creative of this show. And then also, again, the craft of this show all the time, but particularly in this episode was just uh, was just outstanding. So this one was, I thought, a, a real treat, Paul, and yes. has me has me incredibly excited about like, holy crap, we still have a whole half a season to go. I mean, it's, it's yeah. like, oh, it's going by too fast that it's almost over. But also, hold on. It's been really great for these three episodes and to yeah. know that we still have another half of the season to go. Um, and we've already come so far, I think, in a lot of ways with these characters in just these first three episodes to have another half of the season. Um, it's it's already been amazing. Um, but And I, I have complete confidence that this is not um, Secret Invasion Part 2 uh, for Marvel Studios on Disney Plus yes. in 2023 because this creative team has already demonstrated, everybody involved with the show, they... they they've demonstrated that they can bring it home and have a satisfying conclusion to a season. And I feel like, you know, this might be even bigger and, you know, potentially better than season one, which I don't like saying because we've lived with season one for two and a half years and it was really, and it's been really, really great. But season two so far, at least in terms of how I feel about it in the initial rounds of viewing these episodes, it is well on pace with the, the first season in terms of overall quality. It's been outstanding. Yeah. I, I think to me, the biggest tell is is even though because listen i don't love secret invasion there a lot of people don't for good reason but i would say that the the six episode like keeping things at six episodes is a like loki is in and you know secret invasion in that sense like i think from a production standpoint because the production never really seemed cheap to me in, in secret invasion personally um 
I think Loki is another example of just keep things six episodes. And I love what we're getting. Yeah, it's halfway over. It sucks. But I'd rather, you know, I'd rather, you know, uh, burn out than to fade away, to be honest. So, uh, so yeah, to me, like, I, I love that we're getting six episodes and halfway over. But they have just they have delivered. And, and it's never there's been no signs of like, oh, yeah, OK. It's like, no, I've loved what we've gotten. I've absolutely yep. loved it. And I'm fully, I'm fully confident they'll deliver. They'll stick this landing completely. That's uh, that is definitely where I'm at. Complete confidence in where it goes from here. Not knowing exactly what's going to happen, but that the quality is going to be there because it's just been so good. And, and again, it's three episodes so far in this season, but nine episodes overall. Uh, this is just such a such a fantastic series, and just continues to be really, really great in in different ways and for different reasons each and every week, especially this season. And so, I mean, I presume next week, I, I guess we're headed back to the TVA with Victor Timely and we'll see what that means and, and what's going on with his throughput multiplier and what his plans really are. And then, of course, figuring out that big secret and what exactly um, Ravona and Miss Minutes are going to plan and what they both want uh, going forward. Maybe Miss Minutes still wants a body, even if it's not to uh, have a relate a physical relationship with he who remains or Victor Timely, but perhaps just because it's more satisfying to kill Victor Timely with her own two hands uh, if she's able to get a body. I don't know where it goes from here, but uh, they are definitely in, in really great shape in a lot of different directions they could potentially go, and they just continue to uh, build on top of just increasingly great storytelling. It's just, it's been a real treat to see and, and can't wait for the back half of the season. But that is where we will wrap up this edition of MCU Fan Show. Make sure you check out Fan Show Plus for first impressions of these Loki episodes. You can also hear updates and my, uh, my thoughts on various MCU news topics, whether it was Daredevil Born Again starting over and the, the new shape of Marvel Studios and their approach to television or upcoming episodes where I'll talk about Deadpool 3 uh, vacating its release date and where some MCU things go from here as we continue to experience more delays and more changes, of course, in the wake of the Writers Guild strike and, of course, the still ongoing Screen Actors Guild strike. So plenty more to come on Fan Show Plus, which is available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or via Apple Podcast subscriptions. All you have to do is you see the episodes right here in the same feed on Apple Podcasts where you find MCU Fan Show. You subscribe and you can have access to those episodes. Make sure you're following us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. Also, please, if you haven't already, really would appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to everyone who added their review and, uh, and their ratings this week. Really do appreciate it. Makes a difference for our podcast or any podcast you're a fan of. So please go ahead and do that for our show and the other shows that you enjoy. Uh, thanks again to everyone who has already taken the time to share their rating and review. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Herman22 with two Ns, aka Pthug. Please go subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge, where we just recently went over uh, Immortal Hulk, which I call a comic book masterpiece. And uh, we had BJ Kicks a, uh, 
on the or from the Comics Are Dope YouTube channel. It was awesome to have him come on and talk comics for a while. Great, great, great guy. Um, hope to have him back on next year, uh, early year when he's less busy and we can talk about the, his the first time he'll ever read Watchmen. So that'll be pretty oh, fun. Wow. Um, yeah, he, he's a cool dude. Uh, but yeah, it's a whole long story about that one. But anyway, um, yeah, great, great episode. Um, our buddy Chris Clow has also started a issue by issue breakdown of Grant Morrison's Batman Run, which also released last week. To much much acclaim, a lot of people. It's gotten some traction. People really like that. So him and Javi go on there, and I, I'll join him eventually. So yeah, check that out if you like Batman, because again, you can you can literally go and and read it. Uh, a, a comic whole comic running go actually every issue because there's chris does not skip does not mince words when it comes to grant morrison and his love for him and his analyzing those comics so go check that out a lot of fun and you can follow me on instagram threads and yes x formerly twitter at mr sean gerber so for paul i'm sean thank you so much for listening we'll see you next time <laughs>